Hello again. Uh, one of the worries that I know some people have when they travel is what happens if things go wrong. And I've um, definitely uh, put together a few podcasts which talk about planning. And I've done a, at least one or two webinars where I've spoken about, or at least part of it has been about how do you plan for trips and how do you minimize the chance of something going wrong. So I thought it was worth doing a podcast just to talk a little bit more about that, <clears throat> excuse me, and also what you can do when things do go wrong. So there's no particular order to this, but I thought I'd start with um, flights because I've definitely been called out um, a few times on my flights. It hasn't happened often. And I guess looking at the number of flights that I've taken over the years, it's, it's actually uh, a very unusual event when things do go wrong. But obviously, the kind of things that can happen is that your bag might not arrive um, when uh, you do. <laughs> it could be on another flight. Um, or, or I guess worst case, it's lost completely, but I've happily never had that. Um, the other thing that can go wrong is that you miss a flight because you're doing um, two or more flights on the same journey. And the one of them, first one or whatever it is, gets delayed and you can't make it for the next flight. So I've definitely had that. So I thought I'd talk a little bit about that. So I guess the first one is what happens if, um, or what can you do if your bag gets lost? Well, it really comes down to the planning. And a good idea, if you're anything like me, if you think about it, is to just take a photograph of the bag because that way um, you know what it looks like and you can show somebody what it looks like. So that's the very first thing. And um, to be perfectly honest, although I use my bags a lot, when it comes to describing to somebody what they look like, I'll often go a bit of a blank. And if you've not had a bag go um, missing on a flight before, usually what you'll what they'll do is take you through a little process where you identify the bag type and um, the size and all of this stuff. So if you've got a photograph of it, that can be very handy. And obviously, if that's on your smartphone. Um what else? Well, just make sure that obviously it is properly checked in. So you've got the code on it. Maybe put a strap in it or um, label something to make it stand out a bit. Now, the thing not to do is to have your address visible on any baggage tags because um, it's fine to have them on the bag somewhere. I normally have my contact details on a card inside the bag in case anybody, if, if the outside um, tags are lost, then if anyone does have to get into the bag um, to find out who it belongs to, they've got some information there. The other thing is to uh, get one of these luggage tags, hopefully that's reasonably secure on the outside, but where you slide a card in with your details. Um, again, I generally put my phone number and my email address rather than physical address that that might be inside the bag it's really just to stop anyone who has access to the bag seeing my address they know I'm not there basically so and there are people around i understand who do take a look at baggage tags on bags uh, to see um, where people who are traveling uh, are off to now i've never had any issues like that very happily but i guess it does happen so that's the first thing just um, make sure you're, it's pretty easy for you to identify your bag and to share that information with somebody at the airport who is um, in charge of recovering lost bags. So that's one thing. 
And um, also with the bags, I mean, you, you would tend to find out they're missing once you're at the airport normally, unless you pick up somebody else's bag that looks the same as yours. So again, putting a strap around it, anything that makes it look slightly different. And I've seen some interesting decorations on bags at different airports but it is worth doing just so that it's first of all very easy for you to spot your bag on the when it comes out on the carousel but also if you it, it reduces the chances of somebody picking it up accidentally so that's the first thing on flights what i'll also say about bags if your bag should get delayed particularly when you're traveling You really don't want to be stuck without any clothing or without anything important. So all the things that you will need in the first 24 to 48 hours of arrival, I would recommend that as far as possible, you have them in your carry-on bag. So that might be a change, maybe a a T-shirt and some underwear, um, putting trousers or shoes or anything like that can start to fill up your carry-on, particularly if you've got a camera in it, which is how I normally uh, travel. So anything you need, though, uh, and that might include medication as well, uh, and that might be anti-malarial pills, any, anything that you definitely need when you arrive and may not be easy to get at the airport because if you're getting in late, often um, in these smaller airports, you won't find shops at the airports. There'll be nothing open, uh, probably nothing local. If you're staying in a hotel, they may have something, but it's best to assume that you can't get anything in a hurry when you arrive so just uh, make sure that you have what you need in your carry-on bag and where I've been traveling somewhere where I know need walking boots I'll wear those on the flight it takes a bit longer because at some of the x-ray machines you just have to take the boots right off but that's I think reasonably common anyway even with ordinary shoes often you have to take them off so um, I would rather have a, a minor inconvenience at the airport and um just to have to take walking boots off, but know that my walking boots are with me so that if it does take a few days for my luggage to catch up with me or it doesn't catch up with me at all, I've got the things I really need to um, continue on the journey. Um, now, the next thing I'm going to talk about is um, what to do if you miss a flight or your flight's delayed because this really comes down to negotiation and how accommodating people are going to be I had an issue, an issue in India once I was with I think it was Air India on an internal flight over to uh, Mombasa where I had an international flight back to Sydney but we were delayed I don't know why but just our flight I guess the aircraft was late or whatever happened but it was just our flight was delayed and unfortunately it was long enough that when by the time we got to Mombasa we had to sprint through uh, everywhere to um get to the check-in for the international flight, which was with a different airline. And at that stage, they w- would not accept both. Um, in fact, I was traveling with somebody else, but, but they wouldn't accept both us and our check baggage because they'd already closed the check baggage. So we had the option of either flying home on the flight we were due on and having our bags follow us on a different flight, which, to be honest, I was kind of up for because <laughs> um, the trip was over and I... I you know, thought it's well packed. I'll take my chances, just get it on another flight. But the person I was with wasn't happy with that. So um, we ended up passing up our booked flight. But it then, and I think we got there at nine or 10 o'clock, it took somewhere until about three in the morning where Air India um, essentially accepted that it was their fault that we hadn't made our flight and then popped us on another flight. But it did take a little bit of turn and fro at the airport. We had an agent. 
um, helping us out. The, the um, airline did uh, provide somebody to help us out with somebody at the, the airport. So we got lucky that way. Um, other times, I haven't had many times when my bag has gone astray. Normally I've had it uh, come back and usually it's actually been on the return trip happily. Although it did happen once when I was uh, traveling within Africa from one country to another and the bag showed up on um, the following day's flight because there was only one flight a day. So um, again, it's a case of really just making it clear to um the people at the airport, finding someone at the airport who can help you get on to um, an alternative flight. So how do you avoid that? Well, honestly, the tip I usually give to people is just try and make sure all of your flights are with one airline as much as possible. And uh, because if something does go wrong and you do miss connection, well, it's it's that airline. You're not, there isn't the opportunity for an airline to point at a different airline and say it's their fault they have to sort it out so that's my tip it's not always possible so if you do have to fly multiple airlines again another suggestion and that you may or may not be able to do this is to just have a break have a stopover for a day or two uh, between flights uh, depending on how far you're traveling that might be a, a more pleasant way to spend the journey anyway and then you've got time for your um, your bag to catch up with you. And uh, uh, if that's the case, or if flight is delayed, it's probably not critical for you making a connection. So that's uh, that's some tips just on the travel side of it. In terms of um, paperwork documentation, I generally carry um, a spare set with me of documents. I'll photocopy them. And here I'm thinking about um electronic visas that sort of thing you normally get a confirmation email so I'll print that out and I'll have um one set in my carry-on bag and sometimes I'll have um just a backup in my check bag that's not always um accessible but um it it just gives me a backup particularly if I'm um doing a series of trips over a longer a longer period so Back everything up. And another thing you can always do, and and I do recommend it for any important documentation, is just to take a photograph on your phone of the passport, the the um, the page with the information on, any visas, anything like that. So that if for any reason you do lose paper copies, you do at least have a photograph of the original document. And um, so far, I'm happy to say I've not had to use that, but it does show that the the document existed at some point. So you've got a reference. Uh, you've also got the document number or the visa number. Uh, so hopefully that gives the the people who are managing that enough information to um, look the visa up electronically. Most stuff is um, on a database somewhere these days. So hopefully it gives you enough information to recover what you need. So Again, recommendation is to just photograph on your phone everything that you need um, for the duration of the trip. So that maybe you can create a folder, maybe you can on my phone, and just have your travel docs all in there. And um, a lot of um, phones, I know these days, have a, a kind of do- uh, wallets for things like tickets and all of that stuff. So again, that's all good. Um, the only downside to that is if you lose power to your phone for any reason or if the phone is damaged. So um you know, there's always a potential problem, but I would back up electronically and, and do a paper backup 
and hopefully one or other of those will um, survive. Okay, looking at um, what do you do with this stuff? So um, again, I'm thinking of your documents and all those things. Um, I like to carry definitely my passport on me. Um, Sometimes I have one of these little body pouch things that you is quite slim but it sits under your clothes you just strap it to your body under your clothes and um, that means it's not obvious you're wearing it particularly if you're wearing fairly loose fitting clothing which you probably would be in a warm environment if you're going there and if you're in a colder environment you'll probably have layers on anyway so it's not for stuff that you need to get easy access to but it's just a way of keeping it close to you Um, and again things like passports I'll just put in a sealed bag a sealed like a sandwich bag so that if I do get sweaty or anything like that, I don't actually get water um, into the document itself. So um, again, just another thought, and it's easy enough to get these these body bags. They don't have, uh, yeah, the little body pouch things. They don't have to be um, particularly expensive. They just attach to you, and um, depending on what you're doing, that might be all you need. Um, another tip that I've not used, but I thought it was a good one. If you do, if you are in a hotel and you, you use the hotel safe to make sure you don't forget anything, just put a shoe in there <laughs> in the safe with the documents, just one shoe, because um, when you're either packing up or it might be the shoe that you'll be wearing or the shoes you'll be wearing when you travel, uh, it will remind you when you can't find the other one that you need to go get your uh, important documents out of the hotel safe. So look, there are different... Um, People have different recommendations about how to store all this stuff. Uh, it depends what you're doing, where you are. Um, another thing I'll tend to do is keep my documents inside my um, my backpack or my bag, um, but lock it all up every day before I leave the room. So if I'm in somewhere where they don't have provision to store and, and look after important documents, then I'll just tend to do that Um I've been lucky. I've not had an issue with any of that stuff. But, um, you know, things do go astray from time to time. So um, these are just some suggestions for you. You might have a better idea. You might have a, a better suggestion. And that's all good. OK, looking at um, the photography side of things, uh, what can you do if something goes wrong or how do you prevent damaging your camera and um, your lens. So looking at the lens, first of all, I'm assuming it's DSLR or a mirrorless, something like that. I always buy a UV filter when I buy a lens. And um, the reason is that if you just screw it into the, um, the filter mount on the lens, a UV filter, purists will say it does degrade the quality a small amount, but honestly, I don't think I can tell the difference. And by the time I post-processed my image, you wouldn't know. But the UV filter doesn't actually make any difference to the image. Um, Essentially, it's a clear glass filter. And the reason that I use a UV filter is that if I I bump my lens against anything or I drop it, if it just stops the glass, the front element glass in the lens from being scratched because I would much rather scratch a 20 or 50 euro um, filter than I would a 2000 euro lens and um, so that's tip number one so when I wherever whenever I buy a lens I always buy a UV filter for it occasionally I've had a filter get damaged 
Um, I don't often carry spares, so it's something to think about. I always use the lens cap over the filter anyway when I'm not using the lens to uh, minimize the chances of something scratching the filter. So again, it's getting into that sort of habit. Now, the other thing that I do to protect my lens is to always put the lens hood on. And that's in the kind of in-use lens. So it's out in front of the lens. And that's because sometimes I'm walking through forest or bush. Other times I might be on a boat where things are moving around a lot. And simply it's just that if the lens should knock against anything, usually it's the end of the lens that will make contact with whatever it is it's knocked against. And if you've got the lens hood on, it means it's the lens hood that's hitting whatever that solid object is and not the lens itself. And there's enough flexibility and enough give in these plastic um, lens hoods to absorb most of the energy from that impact. So that that is a, something I do a lot and I, I do recommend it. Now, another thing to think about is how do you minimise dust getting everywhere or water? And I um, have a spray cover and it's long enough to um, fit my long lens. So I generally use a 100 to 400 mil lens with uh, on a DSLR body. And the spray hood, it means that I can um, uh, put that over the lens. So the, the way I set it up is I have the lens hood on. Um, I'll pull the spray cover over that lens hood. It's basically an, a, a hole at the front end, but it's got it's elasticated, so it'll get a good grip on the... Um, the lens hood, and then that cover, the the body covering part of it will clip over my body. There's normally a, you have to take the viewfinder cup off and um, usually they'll provide something for you that locks the um, uh, spray cover on um, and that will replace your standard uh, eye cup. And then there's sort of various things you zip up, but you've got, you can get your hands inside so you can Oops, I think I'm not the mic there. I was waving my hands about. <laughs> Stop video. So that's what I do. Um, yes, yeah, so you can get your hands inside the cover and um, operate the um, uh, camera normally. If you've got a um, a lens that twists a zoom, it might be a bit odd using it. So you just get, need to get used to that. And I've got a more of a trombone kind of zoom, which works reasonably well, actually, with that sort of cover. So, look, you might need to just practice a bit with it, get used to it, but I absolutely recommend it because it keeps water off. I've, to be honest, I've tended to use it much more in um, very dusty environments. And I did have an issue with one trip when I was in Tanzania, and I didn't have that cover and I was occasionally switching lenses from um, a long zoom to a wide-angle zoom, and I started to get this very, very fine dust getting in. And, and I was making the lens change inside a vehicle. I was crouched down. I was absolutely minimising the chances of getting anything coming in, but there's very fine dust that just suspends in the air, and it will get in. It will get on your sensor, and um, unfortunately for me, it was also getting on the electronics, on the contact points, between the lens and the body, and I was getting um, a communication error between the body and the lens, which meant I then had to take the lens off again and then clean the contacts and put it back together. And it would last for a little while, and then I'd get the same problem again. So hopefully that won't happen to you, but if it does, it, it is a, a nuisance, particularly if it's happening frequently enough that you can't get to a room or somewhere where it's clean and then just give the camera contacts and body and the lens a really good clean. So... um 
It's another thing I recommend. Also, it minimises the chances of water damage to the body or the lens because if you're anything like me, you've got quite an expensive body, quite an expensive lens, and often the lens will be... um, In fact, one of my lenses costs more than one of my bodies, so um, you really want to look after that stuff and minimise the chances of anything getting in and damaging things in the first place. So how many lenses should you take if you've got a choice of lenses? Well, I normally take one telephoto zoom and one wide-angle zoom. Uh, I do have more, and sometimes I will carry a spare long zoom because I tend to use that more. But the problem is I find that I try to do carry-on as much as I can, but normally limited to seven kilos. And a camera and a body, for me, pretty much uses up a lot of that. Plus, I've got a laptop um, it's, it's again it's a small one but it's still another kilo or so so then throwing in some paperwork basic change of clothes a shirt and some underwear and some socks uh it doesn't leave much weight to play with so some people will go overweight but i think airlines are getting a bit more savvy now or some of them are and they're actually weighing or it's much much more likely that your carry-on will get weighed as well so you just got to be a bit careful um, about doing that I mean, obviously, you can get more in your um, ba- uh, the the, uh, the bag that goes into the uh, the baggage, um, but then you've got that issue of what happens, as we've already spoken about, what happens if your bag get lo- gets lost or um, you know delayed, all of that stuff. So you're going to have to make that call for yourself. But that's generally what I travel with. Um, in terms of the camera body, I sometimes take a spare body, but you may not have one. I don't always because it depends exactly what I'm carrying. I might just want to travel with carry-on, which really limits me in what I can carry. So I generally won't have a backup body. If I'm uh, using hold bags, then I generally will put a, a spare body in. So that if one body is badly damaged, I do have somewhere else to go. Uh, and again, it's the kind of trip where I, I'm probably not going to do it again or it's you know, unlikely. So I want to make make the most of it. So what do you do if something does go wrong when you're away and your body is damaged or or your key lens is damaged? Well, look, the the only other fallback I can offer you is your smartphone because most of us carry a smartphone with us. I've already talked about using it as a way of taking photographs of important documents. And of course, most smartphones, particularly if you've got a newer one, they um, they have very good cameras in them. So something to consider before you go away is to look at these clip-on lenses that are available for a lot of smartphones, because some of them do give you very good results, and um, they take up very little space. So uh, you know you can easily throw the um, clip-on lens into your carry-on bag. So you've you've got it there. Um, for things like tripods, you can get these very small tripods. So again, you can you can actually put together quite a useful little kit for your smartphone uh, to use as a backup, which doesn't cost you very much compared to what you would pay for a mirrorless camera or DSLR equipment and will fit in quite a small place. So they tend to be quite small and quite light. So it's something to think about if you can't carry or don't have extra lenses or an extra body, do think about buying um, a few accessories for your smartphone, just clip-on lenses and uh, maybe a tripod. With the remote release, you can set a delay 
on a timer for most smartphones. So uh, again, with as with most cameras, so you can um, rather than using a cable release, just um, have a three second delay, and then press the shutter button and let the camera delay. So any shake, any vibration is gone, and um, you can take your photos that way. Another thing to think about rather than taking um, a tripod is maybe a bean bag or maybe even one of those um, travel pillows that you, you blow up. You can blow it up, not fully hard, but so it's slightly soft. That might work just as a way of mounting the camera or positioning the camera on a vehicle or on a rock or on the ground and giving you something that's stable and might give you some positioning options. So for most of the standard bits of kit, there are options you can think about, alternatives, which might involve things you would normally carry with you anyway, but might allow you to replace a bit of heavier, bigger kit that you would otherwise use if that's an issue for you. Okay, so um, look, I think they're the main things. Um, I'm just trying to think of other things that have gone wrong when I've been traveling, but uh, usually they're the most the more critical things I think I've already covered. If you've got any other thoughts or questions, you can always drop me an email um, at graham at ge.photography and uh, that will reach me. Uh, and I think um, you can get that information through the, uh, the podcast um, information anyway. But there you go. It was just a thought on some... There are things to think about. And I think with these trips, what you do in terms of planning and preparation... It really is critical. It can make the difference between a very successful trip and having a complete disaster of a trip with nothing to show for it. So when it comes to planning your um, your trips, your photography trips, whether it's wildlife or um, something else, do really just think through every step of it and what might go wrong and what you can do in the planning and the packing stage to give you some options if things do go wrong. So I hope you found these ideas useful and um, I'll speak to you in the next podcast. So bye for now. Just before I go, I want to let you know that there's a couple of ways you can support me if you feel so inclined. Uh, with the podcast, Buzzsprout, which is the um, the platform I use for with my podcast, they have a subscription model. So if you feel that you would like to subscribe, a few dollars, a few euros, whatever, um, to the podcast, that would be much appreciated. The other option is my Patreon membership. So if you'd like to become a patron, and that starts at the price of a cup of coffee every month, you'll get access to exclusive material, behind-the-scenes material, photography tips, all this kind of stuff, depending on which tier you're at. So there is some information available through my website and um, also on the, uh, uh, the written text to go with this podcast. So if you choose either one, thank you so much in advance. And whether or not you do, I hope you uh, continue to enjoy the podcast and let other people know about them. Thank you very much. Bye for now.